0: Before the rings of power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth with your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine,
1: and Dan Coase. Thanks for joining us today as we continue our journey through the Silmarillion. My name is Jonathan Watson. I'm here from theonering.com. And I'm here along with my co-hosts, Michael Grumbine hey. and Dan Coates. Hey. And today we're going to be reading through Of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor, a relatively short chapter, but I think there's enough, enough to kind of chew on for long enough. Uh, uh, and speaking of long enough, but before we do that, we're going to jump into...
0: All that is gold does not glitter.
1: And today we're going to be doing a little bit of trivia and uh, seeing how well Michael and Dan know the Lord of the Rings, but we're not talking about plot or people or places.
0: Hmm. We're
1: talking about numbers. So, numbers, um, numbers. Oh, and these aren't oh, numbers yes. of like how many how many languages did Tolkien come up with or uh, how many sons were, did Feanor have. We're we're talking more uh, real world numbers. So, just jump right into it. The first question. Um, and I'm not going to give you choices either. You just have to. Whoever is closest will uh, will win the um, uh, the prize of glory and fame. Is this uh, like price, right. price is
2: right part. rules? It's you know, <laughs> closest <laughs> without going over.
1: Or? No, I don't want anybody guessing one. So we'll just. <laughs> uh, so, here's the question: Approximately how many copies of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings have been sold Ooh. combined? How many copies of The Hobbit? And the Lord of the Rings have been sold. I presume they're talking worldwide. worldwide. This is not. A, worldwide, uh, worldwide. Worldwide. Every mm. possible
0: translation, everything through all time. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I have simply no idea.
2: I will guess 65 million. 65 mm. million. I will guess 85 million. 85
1: million. All right they're 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 not good guesses uh and though you were closer the actual number is 250 million approximately so uh and i'm not sure i couldn't figure out if this was uh combining uh, this is probably including copies of of the fellowship of the ring two towers and the return of the king and then also one copy of the The lord of the rings because you can buy them in separate uh right as one full book or as three books um, and even some issues of like six books, uh, but yeah, one hundred million of The Hobbit and one hundred fifty million of The Lord of the Rings. That's uh, that's mm. quite a few.
2: And the Kindle and the audiobooks they don't count.
1: Oh, you yeah. know, I didn't dive in that deep. It Wasn't <laughs> as important to me. Um, all right, second question: How many unauthorized copies were printed in the in the U.S. due to a perceived copyright loophole of Lord of the Rings? How many unauthorized copies? Meaning that Tolkien didn't make any money off this. year, they were just trying to like scam them. Um,
0: U.S. Okay, so probably the U.S. based sales are the largest. Um, English sales would be good too, but probably U.S. based sales are the largest. So and um, this only
1: too, went on. I'll tell you, it only happened in the '60s for a short amount of time. But
0: it was yeah, still. I was going to say it's got to be like how about one hundred fifty thousand copies? All right, Dan, eighty-five million. <laughs> Just so every one of memory. your previous guesses copies <laughs> run of oh. that's perfect. All right. 85 million, Dan.
1: Uh, Dan is not right. However, Michael, you're spot on. 150,000. That's the number oh, no. that uh, was approximately reported. Good because job. Michael Grumbine Dang. did it. <laughs> <laughs> it runs in the family. Uh, uh, you know, if man, I was alive in the 60s, that would have been random. Yeah. Good thing I didn't go multiple choice. Probably would have gotten it wrong. Um, All right. How about this one? When first published, how many copies of Fellowship of the Ring were published in its first run? And its very first
0: printing. Its first printing It's going to be mostly England. Mm -hmm. Um, How many copies were printed? How about...
2: How about Dan goes first this time? (laughs) (laughs) How many copies were in the first print run of Fellowship of the Ring?
1: Yeah. 1954.
2: Two hundred and thirty
1: thousand. No, it's eighty-five thousand. <laughs> eighty-five thousand. All right. Oh, uh, well, this one, you guys are off by an even greater factor. It's only fifteen hundred. Mm. Oh, fifteen hundred. Okay. Yeah, that's it's uh, it 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 did okay. And I think even, I think even the two towers might have been a thousand. I'd have to look that up. But I think the two towers with the Return of the King were even less than fifteen hundred in the first run. Hmm. It didn't, okay, we're we really talking about, what, what is this, 53? 54 was when Fellowship was published. Okay, 54. Uh, yeah. Um, so, pretty, pretty low amount. I mean, maybe the well, second one that, that happened. That's a really tiny time. amount. Yeah. Um, and so, so where
0: the distribution was.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know offhand, but that's uh, that was the very first run. So, that's why, like, if you find a first run copy of uh, Fellowship of the Ring, you're going to be paying a lot for it. Hmm. A lot, a lot. All right. Next question How many languages? has the Lord of the Rings been translated into? How many languages? Not how many translations, because there are some languages that have had multiple translations, but how many actual languages has it been translated into?
0: Um, 37. 85.
1: Oh, wow. Dan, no, you're not right. Uh, I think you got to abandon the 85 here now. Michael, though, the, the actual number is 38. Wow, all right. Um, that's including awesome languages like Marathi, which is a an Indian dialect of some sort, or dialect or a whole language, I'm not sure. Esperanto, which if you're familiar with that, that's a made-up language yep. from the 1800s. Yep. And even uh, Galician, Gali- G- Galician, right? That's a part of Spain, I think, that with its own language, dialect. So I'm close enough for government work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you would have won the prices right at 37 and not 39. <laughs> Um, all right. And so this one's a little bit different. How many Lord of the Rings video games have been published so far?
0: Hmm. And, Michael, what's the best one? Well, I can tell you what the best one is, but just... And I can also tell you what the worst one is.
1: Oh, all right. I'd like to hear that. Hmm. There are some bad ones, particularly yeah. when they were based on the films.
0: I wonder if they're counting the volumes or different... Uh, you know, new new volumes of the same game, which they probably are for Shadow of Mortar. Um, probably. Okay, I'll say 19. 19. Uh, it's not
1: 85, Dan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll go with 20. 20. He's uh... <laughs> learning.
1: Uh, he's wanting to play the game. Uh, the actual answer is 32. I yes. mean, oh, this nice. includes, like, mobile games and stuff like this, so... Oh, I didn't even so, think about. The, well, I, yeah, there's one. Hmm.
0: Yeah, in my in my mind, the most um, the most true to Tolkien's world is uh, Lord of the Rings Online, which yeah. has been going now for fourteen, fifteen years. Fifteen years, I think. It's um, been a long time, and it's and it's really it's really impressive how much the team like loves Tolkien's Middle Earth and tries to yeah. stay true um, to to what they got. And and then one of the worst, maybe not the worst, because I haven't played all 32 of these games, would have to be the Shadow of Mordor. Um,
1: If you don't consider it a Lord of the Rings game, it's fun.
0: That's right. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but it, it's it's it, yep, it's interesting
0: but, in a, but as it turns non- out it's a it's a perversion of everything that tolkien wrote so <laughs> you know <there's> that
1: <laughs> so hmm. take over orcs yeah no, no no it was uh it had its uh it, it was it was sort of like uh, assassin's creed in orkland uh yeah not not right. the greatest not the greatest game but it it, it had its non-tolkien merits
0: i guess and yet funnily enough the Celebrimbor in that game still better than the Celebrimbor in the Lord of the Rings That's right.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness we should do a comparison at some point and see what we As end we, up with yes, who do we, we like should. better which from the worst video game or the well hopefully not the worst Lord of the Rings on the silver screen but or middle Earth? who do we hate screen. least
2: yeah all right well I think we you can move on to something a, you just got to give it a chance It mm. might be. it might be good right <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I'll give it a chance.
0: It so you're be. saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. But <laughs> right after she said... We'll see. Hey, man, uh, you know... One million, yeah. maybe. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, you, can, you can skim... If they can skim that little one inch of cream right off the top of whatever it is that they're <laughs> figuring out, maybe it'll... End up. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see when, when it comes out. But before it comes out, we still have plenty of the Silmarillion to go to, through. So, uh, before... Before we do, and we jump into the meat of this, we want to hear...
0: Dead Big Thought.
2: All right, my big thought this week on Afeanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. Um, really, this chapter is about two characters, and my big thought is that they're really quite similar. Um, well, at least in this regard, that, um, that they don't seem to... Uh, respect the authority structures that are around them. And uh, so for example, Finor, he doesn't seem to respect Finway's decision to remarry and have other kids. And so Finor ends up kind of pouting. He just kind of lives all by himself. Uh, he's living apart from his family. He doesn't recognize his family. Um, he doesn't uh, he, he basically doesn't respect the decision that his dad, who is the king, of the Noldor made, I think that, um, that amount of pride or that amount of arrogance of, of, of fan or that he's just not willing to submit to, uh, what, what the, the power structures that he finds himself surrounded by. Um, he starts to become puffed up with pride. He starts to think that he's better than other people, better than other elves, better than the Valar even. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, and I think you see that, parallel with melkor as well that they, they they both will just push whatever is in their way out of their way so they can do what they want
0: and they both have an affinity to flame as well
1: hmm. huh. that's a good point i hadn't thought about it that way um the, the obviously the the pride of of uh Feanor comes into play in the further chapters, which we'll, we'll eventually see. Yeah. That's a really good point. Pride is, is a great downfall of, of many people. And, uh, that yeah. will certainly come to fruition moving forward.
2: And one of my favorite quotes in this chapter that I think Tolkien wrote, um, showing that about, uh, Melkor is that you see him in contrast with the other Valar, that the other Valar, when Monway decides to pardon Melkor and unchain him, that the, 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 the other Valar, they're all standing around going, what? Like, how can you do that? But they also submit to Manwe's decision. They realize that he is the authority. And so I think Tolkien writes that those who defend authority against rebellion must not themselves rebel. So the the, the Valar recognize that, that they, they are under authority and they have to submit to that.
0: Right, and we see a lot of interesting um, differences between... The different valor, even in the, those couple of paragraphs that you last referenced, Dan. Um, what I've always found interesting is that we have um, Mando's keeping silent in this particular matter, and here's this is the valor who who knows more than any other valor, including presumably Manwe, cause, because because uh, Mando's uh, is the spokesperson. He speaks only when Manway. Um, desires him to essentially um, pronounce doom or judgment, or um, I suppose you can't say that he, that's the only time he speaks, but but that is his role and responsibility. So he clearly p- can see the some of the ends anyway of letting Melkor go unchained, and he mm-hmm. keeps silent. You have Nienna arguing for his release because of her um, her compassion and mercy, um, because Melkor has. Apparently served three ages inside yeah. of the halls of Mandos alone. Whatever that means.
1: Yeah, I know. When you think three ages in the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, you think the first age, the second age, and the third age. And if you were to serve those three ages, that
2: that's not the same amount of time. Yeah, this is all prior to
0: the technical first age. Well, yeah. I guess the first age started with the elves, right? So
2: maybe, maybe they uh, had three really big parties. And The three ages, three ages are for each they of the <laughs> They had their quintiniera. They had their,
0: while Melkor looked on with dismay from his yeah. spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, So I don't know what those three ages are, but but Tolkien is angry about him, the idea of him being released. Olmo argues against it, but is overruled by Manwe. Manwe, it says, it, he's the he. You know, he just doesn't understand evil, so he has compassion mm. for his brother, and he doesn't understand the evil that's in Melkor's heart. Uh, which is an interesting quality of Manwe, because he is closest to the heart and mind of Iluvatar. We're told we were told in a previous chapter, um, which is one. Of, he's the most noble of all the Valar, and he's and he's the closest in mind to Iluvatar, and and this makes him this makes him fit to be king, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But in this matter of Melkor, he fails.
1: So th- that's interesting, because then by uh, parallel, right, he would also not understand Feanor. And, and Feanor's own pride and his, uh, you know, the the ill choices he makes that are selfish because that's not in his character either. And he can't quite see that in Feanor either. And so when he meets out these punishments uh, right now that we see, you know, that, that happens with the three ages of Melkor here. Uh, and then when he casts out Feanor as well, right, it's it's because he doesn't, maybe he doesn't know how to deal with it in the best possible way. Uh, and how 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 could the Noldor actually like disdain the Valar for forcing them in a way to come over to Valinor? Uh, it, it, perhaps he doesn't get it.
0: Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to break out all my list, but before <laughs> of, of, of where the Valar failed. Yeah, but, uh, that'll be down the line once we get to the, the yeah end of, at the end of the First stage, maybe. <laughs> But but this is definitely a failure on the part of their king, um, if not some of the other Valar. One of the things that stands out the most about Fëanor we were for, were first introduced to him by him being the cause of the death of his mother, right? So right. he has this fire in him that's right. so great, and he he that he basically received it from his mother and his mother in giving him the flame that is in him this the this burning fire which will make him. Help make him, anyway, one of the greatest elves to ever live in terms of power, knowledge, and ability.
1: And which Tolkien uses the same phrase that he uses that he uses when he it comes to the creation of the world, which is the secret fire, right? And and uh, he says that uh, uh, all his love he gave thereafter to his son Finway gave to uh, Feanor, uh, and Feanor grew swiftly as if a secret fire were kindled within him, which harkens back to the creation of the world and harkens back uh, to what was written before this, or, or, well, what was published before this in uh, the Lord of the Rings where um, uh, Gandalf says, I, you know, I'm a servant of the secret fire. And uh, right. it's kind of cool how that the, the, the tie-ins happen early here in the Silmarillion still.
0: Right. And and that's interesting because that is, you know, obviously he has, Fanor has received this gift from a I mean, That's his, and the secret fire is what Melkor sought in order to have true creation and hmm. never possess. Only Elivatar yeah. only has it. And so th- using that phrase about Feanor was really telling because it shows that there's this fire of creation in him. Uh, and we see that. We see that with his creations and there's some really interesting aspects to it. I'm just going to read a passage about, about his, his abilities yeah. Um, and this, this is right after the secret fire quote that you gave, and after his physical appearance. It says, Few ever changed his courses by counsel, none by force. He became of all the Noldor, Noldor then or after, the most subtle in mind and the most skilled in hand. In his youth, bettering the works of Rumiel, he, de, he devised those letters which bear his name. Which is, so this is language. So he's responsible for the language of the Eldar, and which the Eldar ever used after. And by language, I mean written written language of runes.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was he who first of the Noldor discovered how gems greater and brighter than those of the earth might be made with skill. So he's actually creating gems, not just mining them out of the earth like a dwarf. Um, The first gems that Feanor made were white and colorless, but being set under starlight, they would blaze with blue and silver fires brighter than Halloween. And the other, crystal, and other crystals he made also, wherein things far away could be seen small but clear, as with the eyes of the eagles of Monwë. Seldom were the hands and mind of Fanor at rest. So, so it's describing the Palantiri um, here, so the seeing stones, which um, have a prominent place in Lord of the Rings. Um, pro- well, they have a prominent place in the um, sure. second and third book. So, so he, this is a, a consummate craftsman, a consummate creator. He he! In fact, makes things as like gems and palantiri and 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 um, other other and language itself, and he's just he's burning with this fire of creation that can't be that can't be dimmed.
1: And in after that, which is interesting, right? so his his desire to create isn't only uh, it's not only set within the ability to actually create the silmarils. He actually wants to instead of understand minds he would rather master those as well so rather than understanding the world around him right he would create the silmarils rather than understanding the people around him he would try to master them uh the line being uh, his wife Nerdanel was also firm of will but more patient than feanor desiring to understand minds rather than to master them which essentially saying feanor decided to master them and at first she restrained him when the fire of his heart grew too hot but his later deeds grieved her and they became estranged uh yeah, Feanor, I mean, the fire of his heart, right? That that That's something we see again right there with uh, the secret fire and that his desires, like you were saying, Dan, right at the beginning with your big thought that it was too hot, right? And uh, it's something then tying back to Manway that he probably couldn't quite understand.
0: So there's another thing I want to point out here, which is that off of the creations of Feanor, which is that this is the beginning of a theme which is going to stay constant throughout Silmarillion and through um, the rest of the writings, even *The Hobbit* and mm-hmm. *The Lord of the Rings*, um, what I'm thinking of is chronologically in the Middle Earth's history, not not chronologically as written. But that's the theme. Um, contrary to our current um, world, that the things that came first and were made first are the best. So in our world, we think of things as uh, progress as improving things. So the farther we go, and the more we improve things technologically, the better they get. Although there are plenty of jokes about, you know, I have a I have a stove in my house that's from the nineteen fifties, and it is the best stove ever. It, it is, it's this monstrous um, beast about eight hundred seven seven hundred pounds, I think. But it oh, is, man. but it's it it's just it cooks well. It is. Reliable. It makes the best. It has this copper plating on the top. makes the best. I mean, you'll there's have. no
1: like Bluetooth with it that I can't no, start it no, when I'm at had, uh, Target. Had
0: so much trouble with the, the supposedly superior <laughs> technological advances. So in a way, I a little bit understand what Tolkien's talking about in, in, a, in a very small domestic way. But, but there's a truth. In Tolkien's world, the things that were best came first. And the, mm. the, the deeds of the elves and the creations, even though the creation of arms and armor, as we'll see next chapter, was was a cause of strife and, and the result of the lies of Melkor, their craft was the best craft that there was. I'm reminded of um, the Hobbit when they, uh, uh, Gandalf and the dwarves and, and uh, Bilbo uh, after defeating the trolls, they have these swords, these two swords they bring to Rivendell and Elrond um, identifies them as uh, Glamdring and Orcrist as swords from Gondolin in the first stage. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, immediately that those are the swords that are going to use. And, and this is like something that these swords were made like 3000 years ago. If we found a sword that was made 3000 years ago, it would be the last thing you'd want to use to defend yourself. Cause <laughs> but in, in Tolkien's world, the swords that were made 3000 years ago mm. were of course way better than anything you're going to find around that, that was made in, in mm. the current day. And so uh, this is, this is a theme in Tolkien, which is, you know, what's what came first is, is best.
2: Hmm. It's like hmm. a philosophical conservatism. Like just fundamentally, uh, just fundamentally conservative.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. I guess you can you could see that also in in what they built when it comes to the cities that are described on uh, in Valinor, and even going down to you know Orthanc, which is built far earlier than even gone Well, no, wait, that wasn't built before Gondor. That was built with Gondor, but it was built with the technicians of the uh, of the uh, uh, Numenoreans, right? And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that
0: was is one made from that black stone that the walls of Minas Tirith are. There's this yeah. great passage um in the end of the two towers when um or not the end, but in the two towers where um Wormtongue chucks the palantir out and um to at the at Gandalf and at Nero or at at uh, well they're not sure. Maybe he was aiming for Saruman, they thought. But anyway, he chucks the Palantir <laughs> out. And the Palantir, this what looks like a glass globe, comes crashing down and actually cracks the black stone, which is of, of the steps of Orthanc. So, so you have a, you have a perfect example mm. of what is best being made first. The Palantir is the oldest thing in that scene, aside from Gandalf and Saruman themselves. And so that's the, that's the, that's the craft that it can break even the black stone that even the Ents who can carve through regular stone walls, like, and I quote Tolkien, like, um, fingers through bread, um, can't, touch that black stone that black stone of yeah. the minorians is is um, impenetrable to them but this palantir is superior even to that stone um, which is second
1: bringing it so. back to this chapter is is talked about as something that Fanor essentially built
0: Fanor creates that palantir that Grima Wormtum chucks at Gandalf so yeah. so it's a it's it's a clear example of the things made first are superior
1: Well speaking of things made first I mean you know I guess we'll we'll come up on that in the next chapter with when, when the first weapons were actually made. And, uh, and we'll see that, that those weapons, just like you said, with uh, glam, glam during right? Those are, those probably would still be uh, quite lethal if they had existed when uh, Mary and Pippin ended up using them or needing them or, and Gandalf. Um, yeah. So, the, so while the first, you know, large part of this chapter deals with Fainor, another Part of it deals with what happened to melkor and we talked already about the three ages that he endured based on manway's decree of uh you know i guess his his imprisonment for that amount of time right. Um, but manway granted him pardon after that and uh he he was, you know, he, I guess, uh, you, you could say Sauron took a page from his book in the second age when he decided to be Anatar, the giver of gifts, and be a nice guy. And here, uh, Melkor does the same thing where, uh, let's see, I love the line where he talks about Melkor and, uh, and, and what he was doing. So, uh, Tolkien wrote, but fair seeming were all the words and deeds of Melkor in that time, that time after that, uh, Manway pardoned him after his imprisonment for three ages. Uh, And both the Valar and the Eldar had profit from his aid and counsel if they sought it. So not only was he now seemingly a good guy, he was actually helping people out. It doesn't, there's no specificity to what he was doing, but they had profit from it. And I thought that that I never really noticed that in earlier readings that he was doing good in a way if, if they had profit from it. Um, and oh. you know, and 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 so Melkor that he he pulled the wool over their eyes, and he was he was uh, pretending to be, you know, the guy everybody liked. He's the uh, he's the the protagonist's good friend who turns up, be, uh, turns out betraying him in the uh, cheap Roland Emmerich movie. But, uh... <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> That's right. Well, we see here an echo. This is a famous, a classic Tolkien thing to do. So this is the first echo, which is going to be repeated again by Sauron as Anatar, of um, him teaching the Noldor something. It says, but the Noldor took delight in the hidden knowledge that he, that's Melkor, could reveal to them, and some hearkened to words that it would have been better for them never to have heard. Melkor indeed declared afterwards that Feanor had learned much art from him in secret, and had been instructed by him in the greatest of all his works, but he lied in his lust. So that last part is, the, is a lie, that the greatest of all his works, which we're going to see, talk about next chapter with, this, with the Silmarils, those were Feanor's creation, but but um, it is true that Melkor did indeed teach the Noldor about craft um, and and uh, hidden knowledge, and so mm. this is a good. This is I mean he's he's giving them what is objectively a good thing knowledge at least is mm. uh, of some things, and and uh, so so he can he can uh, do what it takes Melkor can to pull the wool over people's eyes for a time anyway.
1: What's also interesting, other than um, the, the, the point that Melkor was, was a nice guy, one of the lines in the second half after sort of the division point in this chapter um, is the point that uh, the noontide of Valinor was drawing to its closed, mm. which is, means that we're halfway done <laughs> in the history, in a way, right? That means that, I guess maybe you could say the noontide also means the high point, the, the brightest, most beneficial time Right. but I think that's also a point that like, man, there's the, in, in the, in the time span of middle earth, it's, it's we're almost at the halfway point and we barely touched all these stories that Tolkien came up with, which I, which right. I found interesting. We,
0: we, we don't know how long the ages were before yeah. this. Um, and in Dallas, they were of quite a few days, uh, <laughs> years, centuries, probably Yeah, thousand millennia. But, um, but yeah, there were, we're about to get to the, what we find to be the interesting part
1: yeah yeah it's a short chapter but it sort of lays out the character of feanor the character of melkor the ways that it, he uh you know uh, the the deception that he continues to create uh and birth in the noldor uh, and we'll now, see that come to fruition Dan, coming. when we
0: were talking about this earlier you had mentioned something about how you saw some parallels between um, what's happening? What's 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 going on here at the beginning with Feanor and and the 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 um, Genesis story a little bit. Um, maybe we'll continue this in 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 the in the next chapter discussion in the next chapter. But um, Feanor almost seems, seems to have the seed of his you know you have um, his pride as the seed of his downfall being being kind of hinted at here.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't even know if it's hinted at. It's sort of, it's, it's, uh, it's a, uh, well, if it's a hint, it's, um, it's, it's the kind that, uh, uh, Pretty
2: uh obvious. yeah, you definitely have that, um, that seed, as you call it, the, of, of that, of that pride of like, I'm going to listen to my own counsel. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to what I think is best. And then you have the tempter who's coming into the garden, so to speak. Mm. And he's going to tell him exactly, you know, you, you know what, you're, you're right. You are better than everyone else. You know what, you're right. You are smarter than everyone else. What you really need to do is you need to be free. You need to listen to me and I'll, I'll help you be free. And so That's exactly it's, right. and it's an fine. interesting parallel.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So we'll talk more about that in the next cool. chapter. All right. Well, well,
1: let's, uh, Let's move on to the next chapter, then. But before we do that, let's uh, let's do our favorite. If you like Tolkien, and today, um, I have uh, the one, one book that a lot of people don't read because they're like letters. Who wants to read somebody's letters? But we have the uh, the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, which is a great. I have, I have multiple copies here, every copy I could get apparently. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so three different copies, but I love my, I love my original, like my early one best. It looks cool anyway, but it's great to go through it and find the incredible quotes that, that Tolkien had that, um, (laughs) that now are being used in awful ways to justify some things with Amazon's rings of power and taken out of context. But if you ever want like to, to read into his thoughts on, the motivations of some characters or his thoughts on Numenor and Valinor and all these sorts of things. I would definitely highly recommend getting the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. It's, uh, it's not something you like pick up and read through like a novel, but picking it up, reading some, some letters and going through it from front to back is really interesting because he, you know, it starts out with where he's, I believe in, in uh, world war one, one of his earliest letters. Let's see here. Uh, yeah. 1914 to Edith Bratt who became his wife. So, you know, it you, you get the whole picture of who he was. And he's um, talking about, I like this quote uh, in the very first letter where he's talking about the the birth of, uh, of Middle-earth in a way. And he writes uh, amongst other work, he writes to Edith, amongst other work, I'm trying to turn one of the stories, which is really a very great story and most tragic into a short story, somewhat on the lines of Morris romances with chunks of poetry in between which didn't turn into a short story, I don't think, whatever that is, but it's most tragic, perhaps, that's uh, Fall of Gondolin. That was one of his early ones. Um, But it's neat to see that, right? That's 1914, and we're in 2022 now. And so knowing that uh, this was published uh, 68 years later in the Silmarillion, no, no, 70 years later, 73 years later. No, wait, 63 years later. Boy, my math you know we're reading we're not doing math here but yeah so so when, he, when they published Silmarillion right the uh, you see like the germs of those stories in some of his letters here so highly recommended I would uh pick a copy it's fun um so it's, it's, uh, to see. it's
2: got a good dating advice in there yeah. so, uh, if you want to woo a woman you talk to her about you yeah know, your Pokemon yeah. cards or your video games and for, for Tolkien it was hey I'm creating a big fantasy world and
1: if that worked for you, Dan, that's great.
0: <laughs> Perhaps not universally applicable. but yeah. I don't
1: think he was talking about Pokemon cards, but <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, pick up a copy. Um, and, uh, and next week we'll get into chapter seven, which is of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor, which should be exciting because that's the namesake of the entire book the Silmarillion. So we'll see, uh, you know, what Feinor does with the Silmarils and how his pride and fire end up, um, uh, creating a tragedy that runs through all the way till the end of the third age. Uh, yeah. So thanks for, uh, thanks for following us. Uh, make sure you subscribe. If you're listening to this, if you're on YouTube watching this, then go ahead and subscribe there, like there, comment there. We'd love to see, hear your thoughts and, and see what you think about this. And we'll see you next week.
0: Michael, Dan, and Jonathan want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. Visit us at theonering.com, your source for everything Tolkien, where you can comment on this episode and join the conversation. This is Austin Robertson bidding you farewell. May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks.